Wait, Grace, I have a non I have a non podcast note that I need to ask you about. Yeah. How was the Lizzo concert? Oh man, it was like literally <laughs> maybe one Lizzo of the concert? best times of my life. I was really enjoying myself. It was really fun. She was great. She was like so thrilled. She got so much back from the crowd because you know we're like hometown I mean, of for course. her. Yeah. So she was like really happy with the crowd and I loved her dancers and she was wearing a cool robe. It was great. That's my summary. That's really good. I'm just I'm really jealous that mm-hmm. this you should be. To you. It was a great time. That's awesome and now I'm also jealous. <laughs> <laughs> And now all our listeners can also be jealous. <laughs> is that the pod? Is that in the podcast? <laughs> I don't know. We haven't entered it yet, but it could be. <laughs> Welcome. Portal Recall, the podcast where we reread the Tamora Pierce books and yell about them. Um, this week we will be talking about the third book in the Immortals Quartet titled Emperor Mage. Here we are. Thank you. My name is Kelly and I will be your host this evening. Um, my pronouns are she, her, and I thought we could all introduce ourselves and say um, our favorite overly described outfit from this book since that seems to be nice. Tamora Pierce's new thing. She started reading Vogue. So I'll go last <laughs> out of fairness. Um, so why don't we do alphabetical order? I guess I'm Abby. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. Um, I mean, I did really like the description of that beautiful uh, dark blue gown that Dane was wearing with the silver embroidery that she then did completely ruin with bird poop. <laughs> that was like so that was a, so, a struggle for me with this book was the amount of like clothing that was really beautifully described and so lovely and then got covered in animal poop or whatever. <laughs> um oh, that was well I have a second one. Uh the bird poop okay. is just so good. Uh yeah. so I'm Aurora, my pronouns are she, her, and um, my second favorite outfit um, is, uh, oh, I can't remember what night she was at the, one of the nights she was at the banquet, she's wearing like this purple dress with a sleeveless silk gold overcoat that was described as frail as a butterfly's wing, and then yeah, she got bats good. all over it. <laughs> um, so so that, was, that was one of my faves. Uh, I'm Grace, and my pronouns are she, her, and uh, those were two of my favorite outfits as well, but I also really liked when she was arriving on the ship, she, like, got into this outfit that involved, like, a buttoned, embroidered high-neck collar, which sounded really cool to me. Um, Yeah, I also really liked that that. she had a formal outfit that was pants and a tunic. That's very exciting to me. That was cool. And I share your guys' extreme frustration with Dane's uh, treatment of her clothing, which, you know, (laughs) like, they live in a pre-industrial era. That's a lot of labor. hard to make, probably. Yeah, and, like, at least her dragon fixed her bat outfit. But, like, one of my main... Well, not main notes, but I did write in, like, really big caps. I was like, Dane, get a smock. Like, why doesn't she just go around with a smock? And then she wouldn't ruin her clothes. Like, I will not say that the smock, a smock 
she definitely should have one. It wouldn't help uh, her from. It wouldn't have kept her from ruining the outfit that you were just talking about because Which she did jump into, into the, the water. river. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she did jump into a river. Yeah, so that that kind of can't be helped. But you know, you know, like you could wear a little like outfit under your outfit like if Mm -hmm. you like to work you know you need a little Mm -hmm. under outfit so i'm just saying there are coping strategies and i need her to employ them yeah i feel like this really needs to exist in this world so that um fayette can also have it for when she needs to ride smocks exist i don't think the problem is that (laughs) smocks haven't been invented i think they're just dumb and don't care about labor yeah no, it really is a problem. Someone probably worked so hard on those clothes. Ah, uh, she talks about the seamstress that like delicately sewed them for her. Yeah, the, she the, knows like, them. The um the gold overdress thing on the lilac dress, and the you know it was so delicate the fabric that it needed to have like a little row of beads to help it like lay flat. <laughs> and now. Actually, I think that one wasn't totally ruined, Grace. You're right. But, <laughs> the but, dragon fixed but it, it. It did get a little ruined. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kelly, what was your favorite outfit? Um. Well, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to swerve off this Dane course and go to um, an emperor course. I'm gonna say my favorite outfit was the emperor's silver outfit because I really mm. a he had like awesome silver snake bracelets, which I really like, and he had like an over the shoulder like cape sash thing, which I really appreciate. And I really, like, enjoy his commitment to, like, going full out on the outfits where he, like, dyes his hair the same color. <laughs> yeah, that was really good. That he had, Right, the one night he was all gold, including his hair, and then the next night he was all silver. That's like, wild. I'm imagining him with, like, body paint. Like, he's really committed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think this is really funny because, like, I do... I like clothes and fashion, but I'm not at all a visual reader. So even when outfits get described, it normally like does not impact the way that I'm picturing the person. Or well, I'm usually not. I'm just not visual. Um, but these are so precisely described that I do have like specific <laughs> memories of what the people were wearing, which doesn't normally happen for me. So I guess that I don't know if that's a pro, but it's a fact. <laughs> Well, I'm going to move us right into our first section, which is First Adventure, where we talk about our background with the Abby, why don't you go first? <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, I don't really know when I first read this book, uh, when I was a small child. You know, I mean, <laughs> it must have been whenever I read the other Dane books for the first time. But yeah, I don't know when my first time was. I have reread this book a lot of times. I think I've mentioned before on the podcast that it's my favorite Dane book, which is still true by a wide margin. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I read it a lot of times as a kid, and I really, really liked it, and I still like it, and that's my background <laughs> with the book. Um, yes, I will go next. Um, yeah, my experience with this book is almost exactly the same as Abby's. I love this book. It's a great book. Um... <laughs> I probably read it, I don't know, same time as I read all the other ones, like, my preteen years, and it's just, it's so much fun. Mm -hmm. Like, The Graveyard Hag, my absolute fave of all times. Mm -hmm. So good. 
Okay, so this is my first Dane episode, so I can now officially make my shameful confession that I was not a Dane <gasps> kid. I don't think I really reread these books. I think I read them, like, once or twice. I think it's because uh. I didn't own them. Um, mm. And also, I don't know, like, I love Dane now, but I don't think Dane was the kind of character I liked when I was a kid. And I maybe we'll go more into that when we get more into characters. But um, so my background is that I'm sure I read it when I was a kid. I remember liking this book in particular, which is why I signed up to be on this episode. But I'm not like a big Danery reader. Uh, however, I will put in this section that I have this cover right now from my local library, which is very like abstract and spiky and weird. Oh, yeah. Um, but when I was a child, the copy that I read from the library had the most horrifying cover in the history of the world. It's the cover on the Wikipedia article for this book. I looked it up to see what year it was published, and it has this cover on it. And it had this, like, illustration of the graveyard hag where it was, like, this huh. old, bald, hunched woman, <laughs> like, reaching out. Uh, yeah, are you looking at it? It's awful. Um, so that's the copy that I read when I was younger, and I can't be sure that that didn't impact my opinion on the game. Oh, no. oh, man, I've never seen the, the Emperor Mage one from that series of covers before. It's really weird. Yeah, they're all <laughs> weird. That's the series, like, that was the um, like, cover, the editions that were at the library when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of look like Goosebumps covers. Yeah, I have this one, which is not the one that I had as a kid, but... Oh, that um, looks like a Mercedes Lackey cover, Abby. It does. It's uh, very flowy, and it has dinosaurs on it, so that's... Dinosaurs? Nice. That's very good. That's, like, the too. best part of this book. Spoiler, but... <laughs> <laughs> not spoiler. Oh, my God, we're about to get there. Yeah. Um, I guess my background with the book, very similar to um, Abby and Aurora's, is that I reread Dane a lot, and then, it, of course, I reread this book a lot. I think that it wasn't... Particu- I didn't like it particularly more than the other books, but I loved all the books, so I definitely liked it <laughs> a lot. Um, it does have birds in it, which I'm really into, so that was, <laughs> nice. that was good. Um, let us then move into first test, where we do a really brief plot summary. Does anybody want to take a stab at a very brief plot summary of this book? No. This one's kind of tricky in the sense that it actually has a good, yeah. complicated plot, but which is like a bit of a first out of all the ones that we've read. Yeah, no kidding. There's foreshadowing. Shocking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like mm-hmm. themes yeah, there's... that relate to each other. Some of the foreshadowing is even like a little bit subtle. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I can try to do one. I didn't, like, yeah. write it down in advance, so it might be kind of bad. <laughs> That's why it's fun. Go, Abby. That's why it's a test. <laughs> That's true. That is why it's a test. Okay, so as we know from the previous books, um, Karthak and Tortal have been about to declare war, or, like, Karthak has been attacking Tortal a little bit, so this delegation of uh, Tortal and people go to Karthak to try to negotiate a peace and Dane goes along because they heard the Emperor's birds are sick and she might be able to help with the sick birds Um, and they tell her a lot of times to like be on her best (laughs) behavior and don't mess anything up Um, and then uh, she does um, cure the birds and then there's a good like bird mystery that's happening in the background she meets the emperor. He's very creepy. There's slaves. Um, 
I don't know what else happens in the middle of this book. <laughs> but, uh, um, she becomes friends with the Emperor's Yeah, nephew, with the heir. The That's heir. probably important. And also um, with the magic teacher guy. They're yeah. lots of friends. And also she magically she magically becomes able to make dead things alive. Oh, that's oh yeah. Yes. Okay, right, right, right. I, okay, I got this. Um, so, right, Numer is also there, um, which is kind of unclear why he's there, honestly. We can talk about that. But um, the Emperor has pardoned him because he was a wanted criminal there, so they meet Numer's old teacher. Uh, and then also, right, Dane has a lot of um, interactions with a mysterious slave woman who she eventually learns is the graveyard hag, the patron god of Karthak who gives her the power to bring dead things back to life temporarily Um, and then a lot of political intrigue happens and then um, Ozorn Orzone Oh, thank you. I've been not. I've been trying not to say his name this whole time because I didn't want to reveal that I don't know. How to say it. <laughs> I definitely like my entire childhood. I thought it was Ozorn, but I believe it is Orzone. What? I think. I, it's like me too. I can't what between those two things. I have no idea what it is. Let me look at it. <laughs> I mean, it's on the back of my book. It's O R Z O N E. Ozorn. Yeah. Or, Orzone. Orzone. Ozorn. Ozorn. No. Incorrect. <laughs> it's like the the Berenstein universe thing. Like we're just all from a universe where it was said or o- Ozorn. Or so. Or so. Yeah, maybe it just translates. Wait, it's or so Ozorn, right? Yeah, it's Ozorn. No. Yeah. Oh yes, it is in your book. Uh huh. Oh, it's not. It, it did they actually change the spelling between books? How's it spelled on your book? That it's, would be wild. Why? So wait, would okay, yeah, spell that? it spell it on okay. your book. On my book, it's O Z O R N E. Mine as well. Mine is different. It's O R Z O N E. Wow, we are just making such breakthroughs <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> oh my god, no wonder we've been so confused because I definitely like read versions from the library before I read this version, which I own. Yeah, no, I I was definitely confused my entire childhood about this, and I just thought I was wrong. But maybe, maybe. you read more than one edition, Abby, and that's why I you think were I confused. did because I don't think I owned it, but I did reread. Inexplicable. <laughs> so wait, which one do we say then? <laughs> I think we should say Ozorn because that seems to be what we're all leaning towards. Okay. That's Ozone. easier. I feel like that has better phonetics. So Yeah, I like it better. It sounds more like a name for English. So you can go with Ozorn. that. Ozorn. Ozorn. Okay. Wow. I got it. Wow. I feel Was like all my of that entire life has been a lie. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least some of it, because that was like a really monumental <laughs> discovery. Total recall. <laughs> Breaking news. Yeah. Live Turtle journalistic. Detectives. Um... <laughs> Expedit? No, investigation. There we go. <laughs> That's how it happens. Okay, wait. Back curtain. to the plot summary, though. We only got midway <laughs> through. Uh, the emperor. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, a delegation from Tortal goes. They're trying to make peace with Karthak. Um, the emperor Ozorn uh, <laughs> is very like uh, he just wants to conquer everything. And there's a bunch of like omens about how he has like, displeasure of the gods and all that. Uh, Dane meets the graveyard hag. She gets the power to bring things back to life. Um, Ozorn kidnaps her to try to stall out the peace talks. 
Um, and she gets really mad <laughs> about that and um, destroys yeah. everything. And also, right, she, she escapes, hears that Numer has died, destroys the entire palace with her undead dinosaur mm-hmm. army. Um, it turns out that Numer has not died, shockingly, <laughs> at the end. <laughs> and then she feels a little bit bad afterwards. <laughs> a little. <laughs> hmm? The dinosaur army is the most rad thing it's so that cool. has ever happened. Yeah, no, I mean, the the single chapter in this book that's titled Dane Loses Her Temper is, like, the peak of the Tortoise <laughs> yeah, universe. super rad. Yeah. It is. It's so good. <laughs> Dane gets mad. It's also just... Mm-hmm. It's just super satisfying. That's... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and even, like, you know, she's enacting the will of the gods because the gods are against... Um, Ozorn at that point but um also like you know the graveyard hag shows up and Dane is like I'm gonna do this my way and my way is with dinosaurs (laughs) and that's so good I love every time the graveyard hag and uh Dane have banter just because the graveyard hag's always like oh yeah dearie why don't you rouse the dead and have them dancing in the streets and Dane's like no dinosaurs Oh, I forgot. I thought I hadn't written down a short summary for this book because it's the plot is actually too good of a plot. But I do have a a little I have a bit, a very small bit. It's the smallest of bits and it only pertains to the first okay. half of the book. Go. But in the first half of the Dane book, Dane, the Dane book, Emperor Mage, um Dane <laughs> hangs out and has a good time with the most famous people in Tortal. Again. <laughs> and hangs out with the most famous people in Carthag. <laughs> hey. Uh, that's it. She does. It's, it's true. just Dane hanging out with celebrities <laughs> all the time. Thank you. <laughs> Even the birds that's are all famous. all she ever does. <laughs> it's true. The yeah. most famous birds. Yeah. There were a couple of things, actually, that upon rereading this again, I felt like confused me and I didn't catch them when I read it when I was younger. So for example, I never I don't think I ever registered when I was younger that like Kadar was supposedly leading a rebellion against the Emperor secretly. Because <laughs> I feel like this book doesn't really go into that, that much. It's just like at the end they were like, by the way he was leading a rebellion. Like, <laughs> no, I mean the most amazing thing that happens in this book is um <laughs> is that uh there's like a time when Kadar and um, Numer and Lindhal are like having a secret yeah. meeting about all their secrets, and Dane is just like, I don't want to know secrets. I'm <laughs> leaving. Like, oh, I'm gonna go hang out with birds. I don't want to know secrets. Too much drama, you know? <laughs> Dane likes to stay out of it. Uh, like, there's so much political intrigue in this book that we just get like little, like, snapshots of and flashes into and like Dane is really having none of it she's like they were having peace talks it was really boring they were like talking about (laughs) fishing rights and I'm like I want to hear about those fishing rights what about these peace treaties (laughs) are we now uh, have we already transitioned into run the dominion jewels I think we might be because that is plot (laughs) and world building so let us just go right into there here we are continue talking about plot and world building (laughs) It was so good. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, yeah, like, Dane doesn't know how to do politics at all, and she doesn't know what's going on a lot of the time, but, like, it's really exciting that the politics was, 
was complicated and like present as opposed to in wolf speaker it was so much just like you know these people are rebelling against the king Mm because they want to (laughs) and that's the end of the story Right, and I feel like it's actually really cool and somewhat underdone in uh, fantasy to have, like, you can have those details even if your narrator is not particularly engaged with them, and it can be even more interesting because it can kind of, like, run in the background and be that somewhat subtle foreshadowing. So I think it's really, like, don't meow while I'm talking. (laughs) Um, I think it's really uh, well done and, like, hangs together a lot better than the wolf speaker plot or other times yeah, when we've I seen agree. her try and do that mm-hmm. she's developing as a writer maybe. <laughs> oh, i think she is <laughs> it really it's really good she's doing so good i'm proud of her except there are like a couple times where i feel like she's just really forcing it as true to more of your style like my favorite part of this whole plot was when dane like finally discovers that her father is a god by like somebody just telling her oh yeah your father must be a god and she's like yeah <laughs> I guess so. Like, okay. That was, like, so underwhelming. And also, like, not definitive. She's just like, oh, I guess that would really... You know, I've been having these visions. Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, it's interesting because... And then she figured out who it was. So, like, that's not even a reveal for the next book. That's just... It happened really low-key in this book. It's not even... Yeah, like, here it is for sure. I feel like I might have missed that when I was... Uh, a young reader. I think I did miss it. Very surprised also. in the next book, but now I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I mean, it was almost. It was basically revealed in the last book, and this one it was actually revealed, but very kind of yeah. in like an underhanded kind of sneaky way, and then it's just in your face in the next one. Um, yeah, I mean, right. This like this is the first book where she's actually managed to do. Um, you know, mysteries and twists that feel like real twists. <laughs> um, but, like, uh, the the Dane's parentage thing, like, I, I feel like if a reader read the first book, the, you know, if a reader read Wild Magic and was asked, who is Dane's dad, probably they'd go for, like, the guy with the antlers who was hanging out <laughs> with her mom. Yeah. Maybe not me when I was yeah. 10, though. Maybe not <laughs> Yeah, not like a little kid. So my questions about, um, like, the mechanics of gods and immortals answered in this book, which was nice. Yeah. Um, they talked about how, you know, specific, or Tamora Pierce revealed to us how only specific animals can only bring their own species mm-hmm. back from the dead. And vice versa, although then the badger proceeded to bring Dane back from the dead, so whatever tomorrow appears. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that this is, that's the second time that um, she yeah. died in this book, or in this series, and, and they've just been like, no, yeah, turn like, around, do go it. back. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite yeah. god factoids from this book was the graveyard hag... <laughs> When was it? I think it was because she was, like, dealing with Kitten, and she's like, no, 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 no. You can't, like, actually be a real opponent to me till you're grown up. Which means that if dragons are fighting the gods, they stand, like, a real chance. And that's so cool. Like, that's so cool. Dragons are so cool. They can just go where they want, including into people's dreams. (laughs) It's wild. And the gods can't stop them. The gods can't stop them. They've, it sounds like... They've had the fights with the gods before. They're like, yeah, wow, I'm, well, I don't know if we're going to see more of dragons in the future, but if we do, that'd be super cool. 
knows? I guess we'll just have to find out. Continue reading with us. Which is funny because, I don't know. I'll just make this a very short aside because it might not be relevant to anyone else. But that's the same in uh, Diana Wynne Jones books is that uh, dragons are like the most powerful and they like can go in between and talk to gods and Mm. stuff like that and be formidable to the gods. So I don't know if that's some sort of like genre trope that I just. I mean, dragons kind of are like the biggest, most powerful like fairy tale thing. So it might just be that they are dragons, kind of. But it depends on your universe. You could make anything the most powerful thing. I mean, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I love Diana Wynne Jones. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess one of my one of my other one of the other questions I asked a couple episodes ago that was sort of like god mechanics that I'm bringing back now. It's been answered. When I was like, why couldn't Thane just like ride into Ka's head across the border um, in Wolfspeaker? Well, she couldn't because presumably if she goes into his head or turns into an immortal, mm-hmm. she would stay an immortal. As we have learned in this book, you right. cannot do that. So, yeah, no, question that's answered. True. <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't. I. Yeah, I, I kind of assumed that going into their head was different from, like, shifting into them, like, sh- shape-changing into an immortal, but she I don't think she's ever done it, so I think you're right about yeah. that. That makes sense. Cool. Yeah. And there's got to be some in-universe answer, otherwise I feel like it would get too, like, complicated mm-hmm. with what we've already seen. One of my other favorite things um, that Tamora Pierce did, I guess, sort of in terms of, like, writing style is she set up a lot of important plot points by just making other characters forget yeah. to tell Dane about things like the badger he was like I guess I forgot to tell you how oh to use the magic and Numera where he was like oh I wasn't dead it was just a copy of me I guess I just forgot to tell you, you how to tell that is the most in character Numera thing though <laughs> like he, he's just such a like uh I don't know, like, flighty academic who would just forget this, like, major plot detail. <laughs> I mean, it's one believable. of the fun parts about this particular book is, you know, so we have Numer, who's a, I guess, academic, but we also run into a bunch of other academics, and they proceed to kind of make fun of them. Um, like, what's his name? Lindahl is yeah. <laughs> always super, super excited mm-hmm. about everything that has to do with the animals um and they just all get like super um whenever you know they're talking to Dane about like dragons or animals they like ask her a bunch of questions and they're all super and it's cute um they're like academics (laughs) at their most adorable um not that all academics are like this but it was (laughs) you know this is what when you're a small child you kind of hope academia is like so that was that was nice (laughs) right it's true (laughs) Right, yeah, and Lin Hall, how he has all these questions kind of stored up for mm-hmm. her, where she, he's like, oh, and what about, like, do you know, can you ask the monkey about, like, he <laughs> has all these questions that he, like, wants his theories confirmed and stuff. That feels very, like, good professorly thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I like in terms of world building, too, that they kind of make, like, Karthak, like, you know, it's the royal court or whatever, but it's also this big area of investment in... Um, academia and science basically science I think that's really mm-hmm. cool yeah it's interesting because Tortal has the the city of the gods where they train mages although I, I another question I have is like where do all those mages go why does Tortal <laughs> have so many fewer mages than Karthak but part yeah. of it is that Karthak has this you know 
Right. They don't just train people in magic. They have, they, like, real science. Maybe they um, flee to Karthak because there's more investment in academia, <laughs> so the job market's better. But also, like, <laughs> slavery. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, true. There is an <laughs> interesting separation between, like, the university itself and the state, um, mm-hmm. in the sense that uh, it sounds like they have... I mean, some bit of autonomy, at least enough that they, like, wouldn't allow, um, for example, slaves to, um, be at the university. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, well... Mm -hmm. And I guess it makes sense on some level that, um, Karthak would, you know, to create this, like, big, fancy university and attract people from all over the world that they would sort of separate it a little bit from Karthak, you know, the mm-hmm. Empire. Mm-hmm. I wonder how much tuition was. <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> um, one thing that I thought was really cool about the university was I've been sort of wondering, because in Tortle, like, the only mage that we see is Numair, and he's also a mage scholar scientist. He's kind of also in these books the only scholar that we see so I thought it was really cool to like then go to Karthik and see people who are mages and then see how much that overlapped with like other kinds of scholarly science and also see that there were like all these other disciplines that sort of interact with mages but aren't magical but then on the other hand like Lindhal is a super scholar but he's Mm -hmm. also a mage but Kadar is a scholar and he says he can barely do any magic yeah I kind of they don't really talk about it but it kind of seems like Lindhal is just like a biologist who happens to also be able to do magic right or like magic is one of the sciences like you can pick to do it but if it's not your thing you know yeah then you just focus on the other yeah science which right i mean it's funny that lindhal was apparently numera's teacher when he's so focused on anatomy but that (laughs) does explain i guess if we're talking about you know things that retroactively explain questions from previous books how um new Mare is able to both recognize wild magic and then teach dane so much about anatomy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it's true that it like falls together i don't know if that was purposeful or more like retroactive <laughs> but <laughs> it helps but yeah everything in this book just feels so str- like s- like well structured i don't know it just in you know, I don't know, in comparison to other previous books that we've read for this <laughs> podcast, but also just, like, in general, for a kid's book, it, like, right. the world building is really dense, and the plots are really good and connected and everything. Yeah, I agree, and I hope it's something that we see going forward, although, I don't know, we'll have to talk a little bit about spoilers, like, I'm, I can't remember mm-hmm. if we see that in the next book, but um, it really is, like, an enjoyable book to read, because there's, like, reveals and, like, things build up and you get to know characters and all these things that are uh, done with a lot of skill we did talk about this a little bit uh, in a previous episode but uh, in terms of structuring this series that you know the previous two books had sort of vague distant enemy of the Karthaki Empire which Dane just absolutely wrecks in this book. <laughs> I'm trying not to swear and it's really hard because Dane is just so awesome that it it makes me want to swear a lot. But 
Yeah, but she just absolutely ruins, you know, the Karthaki palace and also their army a little bit, just all of their resources and, you know, gets rid of the emperor. So, like, um, but right, it, like, it's it's just strange that, you know, okay, we built up this big bad that's the emperor of Karthak and the Karthaki army and everything, and now, done with that, we're on <laughs> book three of four. right. Which I think kind of lets you know, like, something weird is coming, like, not a traditional plot structure for a series. Um, (laughs) But I also really like the idea, uh, in terms of, like, the the sort of fantasy genre that this inhabits, I really like the idea of, like, here's the third book. We've been kind of alluding to this sort of, like, otherized, racialized, ambiguous enemy that we just assume is real evil and we don't need to question or examine that and then for the third book to be like no we're gonna like recognize that people in this group have nuance and we're going to like deal with them but also get to know them and have this more full picture like that's really cool that's really like i think kind of um pushing back against a trope a little bit i don't know if it's intentional but in terms of series structure i think it's cool to be like we have this big enemy but we're not just gonna fight them we're gonna like go there yeah Yeah. that is cool although right it does end up uh pretty much being that ozorn is just (laughs) i mean he likes (laughs) some credit and there are other karthaki characters which i think is important yeah it is kind of an amazing like you know like a reverse kick the dog trope where Ozorn is really really terrible (laughs) does like birds (laughs) I know oh it kills me so much Uh, he's so good to them but like the many ways that they you know work on building him up as like a really you know, real bad. He's like all of the bad bits of Car- well, not all of the bad bits of Karthak, but you know, kind of embodies so much of it. It's cool. Um, mm-hmm. Like the oh, that's a good example. I mean, they tie his persona up with all of the stuff that we're gonna cough talk about later, like cough imperialism, cough <laughs> militarism. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know when they talk yeah. about like as many faces and so also he uses the imperial we <laughs> like what <laughs> which is like you know have we ever heard Jonathan he? do that because like he could I don't know I I, I, I can't remember us ever hearing that but it seems like a thing that Jonathan would do in like a formal situation I haven't paid attention to That's it true. but I do think it's interesting like the different cultures of the two courts um like they talk about like how jonathan is so much Mm -hmm. less formal but then like you know at the same time in some ways he does act like he has more control over what happens in tortal whereas like uh Mm -hmm. ozorn is trying to pull this whole like i'm not the one who's pulling the strings here situation (laughs) yeah i mean um so like there's yeah it's a weird contrast we might get some pushback against that you know the idea that Jonathan, John, Jonathan has a lot of control in the um, coming books, but y- there is a very different relationship between the head of head of state. Is that what we call them? Um, uh, sure. And sure. you know the people they surround themselves with in this book, like 
Yeah, and from Dane's perspective, she does say, like, she'd never seen Jonathan having to check in with people <laughs> or whatever. True. I mean, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, but, but Dane just, like, doesn't play politics. Like, this is a recurring thing in this book yeah. that she just... She might have she doesn't not at all an accurate idea. Yeah, like, she's friends with all of yeah. them, but she doesn't get into any of that. Though, so, oh my goodness, I don't know how this worked out, but I found... I don't remember where it was in the book, but apparently Fayette spent hours teaching Dane to curtsy. How does the queen of this land have hours <laughs> yeah. to spend? Yeah, the queen. Why is that my <laughs> <Like>, job? <laughs> I also made a note of this. It, that should be someone else's job, like, surely. Like, they were doing it because, you know, they're good fun friends. But... <laughs> yeah, I mean, they are friends, so I think that was part of it. But, right, I, yeah, Fayette really true. just seems She's to do what queen. she wants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd think she would have not yeah, hours I mean, to Maybe do it was that. some sort of, like, hyperbole on the part of Dane, because she is, like, what, 15? Um. <laughs> True. <laughs> and, right, she, you know, had to be taught to curtsy, so, like, it's not something that she's yeah, super interested in. Yeah, I mean, it was probably, probably very dull, but still. Also, yeah. I like how Dane, like, frequently <laughs> forgets to bow when, like, um, Ozarn <laughs> or... Kadar. I don't know where this Kadar. Kadar. Yeah. I, I mean, that we don't have That's standard pronunciation. Fair. We don't believe in that. Um, but it's funny that she just forgets like how you're supposed to act with quote-unquote typical uh, uh, monarchs, emperors, whatever, and just resorts to being sassy. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, it was such a it was such a fun contrast from um Wild Magic when she first meets Tortal and royalty and she's <laughs> so freaked out about it, you know, and really <laughs> uncomfortable with them. But then she gets here and she doesn't know how to do anything other than just like ask yeah. rude questions all the time. <laughs> yeah, and there's like multiple instances where she's like suddenly she realized that everyone was waiting for her to bow. And it's like yeah. it's a good thing you <laughs> seem to be charming. Um, because it's very rude quite (laughs) yeah no it's like really awkward but I love it I love her um trying to think of other world building things oh uh, I continued on fruit watch 2k18 but it kind of died because there was so much oh my god me too I wanted to talk about food (laughs) yeah I'm so glad you came here and again Amy's gonna flip Fruit juice. I know she describes so many fruits and that she's still like fruit juice. Like Tara Pierce, you can pick a fruit. It's okay. Just pick a fruit. I mean, maybe she's trying to indicate that there were like multiple pot, like fruit juices available. Or like it's sort of like a punch situation where there's more than one yeah, fruit sure. in the juice. Could be juice. a punch situation. I also, I'm, I'm obsessed with the fact that Tamara Pierce thought to herself, I need to indicate that this food is really exotic and special, but she did not make up any foods. She just made up really weird combinations (laughs) of extant foods, like dormice rolled in poppy seeds and honey. I'm sorry, Tamara Pierce, I'm offended. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much of that stuff, like, was she actually completely making it up, or did she pull it from some obscure ancient culture that I don't know the cuisine of? Maybe, but some of the stuff was really weird. I remember, like, eel medal. I mean, maybe that's not weird, but I felt like the co- like the flavor combos she was putting together were weird. Not necessarily, <laughs> that's like, true. She was like, let me pick an animal that seems like I wouldn't eat it every day. Let me pick a random flavor to pair that with. And I, this is what I mean, Dana the graveyard hag eats, like, beetles and grubs and stuff. So, like, TP goes all out in this book. 
Um, I'm also glad that we established that um, in uh, this universe, they just have every <laughs> animal that we have. Like, you might have wondered, do they have giraffes? They do. <laughs> I liked that, too. And even, like, their their ancient extinct animals were the same, too. Like, Tamora Pierce nope. did not make up, like, fantasy dinosaurs. She just put the exact same yeah. dinosaurs. Although, I do have, like, a kind of cracky theory about that which I, I don't know maybe we should wait for very fast biology okay well that can that could that's happen now i guess that wait no i have now. i it's... have one more world building thing prior to okay, very okay. fast linguistics and bio which is yes slave like, magic, down. you it's guys so cool. they yeah. have regular academic magic and then they have slave magic that the slaves do that the masters yeah. don't know about and like, it's the coolest we thing should ever. get a book written by them yeah yeah right that would be really that would cool be nice yeah, just the, I mean, right, they have the, like, secret underground passages under the mm. palace, and then they just have secret rooms in them that are covered in slave magic. That's just the cool, like, I just need so much more information about this. Yeah, that was super cool. Um, oh, one other thing I wanted to ask you guys about before we move into very fast linguistics or bio is can we are we all agree yeah. is Carthic Carthic's fantasy Egypt right yeah so yeah. yes but they're like I I always thought as a kid that it was 100% Egypt there were a couple of things on this read through that reminded me a little bit more of like mm. ancient Rome mm. but it's mostly fantasy Egypt okay right because they're like off a river and they're like Egypt yeah animals. they have Crocodile. barges and um like they line their eyes in the same mm-hmm. way that ancient mm-hmm. Egyptians mm-hmm. did and like all the jewelry and yeah yeah, no, it's very ancient Egyptian. There were just a couple things that, like, a couple, like, outfits that they wore, or, like, they yeah. mentioned that mosaics were a specialty of theirs. Just, yeah, like, a couple that. things that struck me as... And maybe, like, the, the layout of their armies was very, like, Roman centurion type of thing, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's funny if, the, if what they are is ancient Egyptian with, like, a little bit of ancient Rome. That's, like, really wacky because that's an entirely different time period than most of the other cultures <laughs> right. she's drawing from. Like, they're not, like, ancient isn't just one era. <laughs> like, yes, yeah. it is. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I think it's interesting, too, to, like, specifically engage with ancient Egyptian. And I'm interested, maybe we'll talk about it more when we talk about representations of race. But, like, um, because Western culture has such a unique relationship with Egypt mm. compared to other yeah. like countries in that region I think are like the idea of like Egypt as a cultural Egyptology as a cultural phenomenon maybe we can talk about that that's actually really interesting I mean we can probably talk about this later but specifically with it ties how it ties into the fact that they have a natural history museum full mm-hmm. of dinosaur bones and I feel like that's a really interesting connection between uh yeah, I, I mean, because ancient Egypt is uh, something that Westerners have a fascination with, specifically in a way where we take their <sighs> stuff and put it in museums. Right. So. Yeah, and like being more willing to invoke it as like a educated, cultured kind of place. Yeah. I think. Yeah. One of the other things that confused me about like the place, so Carthage is probably ancient Egypt, and then. Mm-hmm. They've conquered a lot of countries that are now in their empire, mm-hmm. and that's like, it sounds like they're supposed to have conquered most of fantasy Africa. I'm using huge air quotes here. <laughs> um, and but then that they said they conquered all the way down to the far south, which is also where the mammoths were frozen. So that's maybe like the South Pole, except then they also call it the roof of the world, which in my head is fantasy Tibet. 
because Tibet is the root yeah, of the world. Yeah, well, and we know where plateau. that is. That's like over to the east, right? This is a very I'm small so planet. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that is my my biggest fan theory: is that Tortal is just a really small planet, <laughs> right? <laughs> Like comparable number of continents, just very squished <laughs> together, very small. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's possible that where the mammoths were found wasn't very cold because it was uh, very far south, but just because it was very mountainous. But we okay. really have no idea. Is this biology? This sounds like biology. This actually ties into a theory that I needed I need to talk about because I was thinking more about like which place on the turtle map is which and I was thinking about the animals that Tamara Pierce mentions in this book and she mentions that Zek the pygmy marmoset um, was from the Copper Isles and she also mm-hmm. mentions that the iguanas um, in Lindholm's lab are from the Copper Isles and I thought to myself because I thought Copper Isles in my head for some reason were just fantasy Southeast Asia like they're a fantasy Indonesia because that's also like an island mm-hmm. archipelago yeah that's kind of what but I thought but iguanas are from South America so first I thought oh it's fantasy Caribbean because some of the Caribbean islands that I've done research on have iguanas but they're mostly found in like Central and South America and pygmy marmosets are found in the Amazon rainforest so it took <laughs> Pierce to Whoa. take the whole of South America and make it into <laughs> oh, an no. island chain <laughs> okay I mean we know that she's very bad at knowing yeah. like, what size things are it's a <laughs> tiny planet wait but they, oh wait there's <laughs> Wow, yeah. So there's there's two sets of islands. There's the Copper Isles and then the Yamani Isles, which are clearly fantasy Japan. Uh-huh. How is that? So, but I right, I, we're, we're going to see a lot of the Copper oh, Isles yeah, we are. in the future. And Maybe we'll learn more about it. Really, yeah. really interesting. Because, yeah, I always thought they were like Indonesia, too, but mm-hmm. maybe not. I think it makes... Oh, man, does it make more sense for it to be Indonesia? So far, I'm I dying. think, but maybe... I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the iguanas are different, Kelly. Maybe they require a different. Kelly, bio. these are fantasy iguanas. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, these maybe are they fantasy, were, yeah, they fantasy to um, the Copper Isles, and so that's not originally Ooh. where they came from. Copper Isles have been colonized, so maybe the colonizers yeah. brought their iguanas. <laughs> Why would you bring an iguana? <laughs> iguanas are invasive to the Netherlands and Chile. Those are right <laughs> off the coast of South America. <laughs> So oh, oh good. Very good. Uh, 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 <laughs> okay. I'll get over that sometime. Okay. But I, I have some bio stuff that we really need to get in here into okay, here. Let's I talk don't about know it. how much you guys are into dinosaurs uh, if at all. But the fact that so they okay <laughs> Oops, I lost my earbud. I got too excited. <laughs> got riled up about dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. Okay, dinosaurs. They know what they look like. Because they have mages that look into the past. We don't know what dinosaurs look like. They know what dinosaurs look like. Okay, I'm, like, I'm obsessed with this idea that we don't know what dinosaurs look like. And there's this really cool book, um, Podcast Friends, you should look it up. It's called All Our Yesterdays, and it's these cool, like, speculative illustrations of dinosaurs. It's very, it's a good time. You should look it up great but they like show the little dinosaurs and then they're like you know dinosaurs they weren't just bones if you made modern day animals just bones they would be terrifying and so you gotta put like the you gotta make little chubby dinosaurs you gotta make dinosaurs with like 
you know, different shapes on them and stuff. Um, and mm-hmm. so I'm really jealous of these mages, is my point. And also, I think they did it wrong. I think I believe that there were some, some like, chubby, fluffy feather mm-hmm. dinosaurs, is my <laughs> personal yeah, dinosaur I agree. preference. I agree that there are some chubby, fluffy feather dinosaurs that were basically just really massive, fluffy birds. Yeah. Um, which leads me to my uh, super great fan theory that mm-hmm. I'm doing because Amy isn't here to do a great fan okay, theory. Okay, do it. <laughs> which is that they don't describe in super huge detail what the dinosaurs looked like when they were alive, but Dane does have visions of them as they were alive. And she describes them looking like what we thought dinosaurs <laughs> looked like in the 90s, which yeah. is not what we think they look like now. So my fan theory is that these actually are magical <laughs> fantasy dinosaurs. <laughs> these are fantasy dinosaurs, yeah. And then real dinosaurs are real dinosaurs. Yeah, so, right, real dinosaurs are fluffy, but these are a totally different species because they know what they look like, and it's what we thought dinosaurs looked like when we made Jurassic Park. Yeah, including, like, we (laughs) thought triceratops were around, so that's why we have them in this book, but not in real. Side note, Um. um... they mention like, oh, we have mages that can look into the past and see and see dinosaurs, <laughs> and then they then Numera says like, or someone Lindhall, I don't know maybe, says um, like, oh yeah, they're not really very useful in like the real world, but the, but <laughs> academics love them. Yes, they could like, solve crimes with these people, Wait, and they're so using cool. them to look at dinosaurs. <laughs> Which honestly oh, is academics. also what I would use my mm-hmm. powers for. I mean, also for. great. I'm really glad that they're using them to look at dinosaurs. I had I had at least I had one more I have one more fast file thing. It's on Kobe Universe. So so okay so. So, so I was looking up hyenas because I was trying to figure out how much of this hyena stuff that Timor Pierce was spouting was true. <laughs> One of the things that Numera said is that these have the strongest bite of any mortal, any mortal predator. False. They have the number ten strongest bite. <laughs> The number one strongest bite is the Nile crocodile. Okay, hyena fact number two. Um, Numera immediately says, "Oh, these are, um, these are spotted hyenas." Um, which come from, like, further south um, on the African continent. But there is actually another species of hyenas, which are striped hyenas, um, which live where Egypt actually is. So it would probably make more (laughs) sense to have those hyenas be there, and I don't know why they're not the ones that are, like, related to the patron goddess of Karthak. Um, And also, spotted hyenas kill 95% of the animals that they eat, so it's more (laughs) of a scavenger myth. <laughs> Striped hyena scavenging. Hyena is really good hyena facts. Bam! Hyena, hyena facts. facts. It needs its own jingle. That was my attempt. <laughs> hyena facts. Hyena facts. Um, the other, the one other animal thing I wanted to bring up is wow, yeah. Tamara Pierce really hates rats in this book. Last book of the yeah, chickens. Yeah, I wanted to bring rats. that up too. Cause right, I mean, it, we had mm. Dane hating the chickens for seemingly no reason, <laughs> but here we have rats not yeah. liking Dane for no, for I mean, like any reason. They, I don't know. They're kind of sassy. I like yeah. their sass. <laughs> no, I mean, I kind of like them, but I don't know why they. They're the one animal that like doesn't like Dane and is also. I mean, there's one every book, right? We have the rats in this book. We had whales in the first book. Not that whales were bad, but like (laughs) they weren't super like part of the Dane fan club. Um, I don't. uh, Oh, I can't think of anything from the book after that. But 
you know, there've got to be some animals out there that are like, eh, Dane's not that impressive. <laughs> She's fine. I feel like that just ra- raises a lot of questions about like, what is it that makes animals <laughs> like Dane so much? Because apparently it's not 100% of animals. So I guess it's just like, She's charming. Most animals are very friendly. Dane's friendly, (laughs) so they get along. It is weird to me. I don't know. Like, I don't wasn't super tracking this in earlier books, but like, there's not other people that can really talk to animals like Dane can, right? Like, even people with wild magic don't like have conversations like she does as much. Um, Is that true? Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, that's true. Because I think, I mean, we know that Onua mentions that she, like, has wild magic, but it just, make, like, helps her. She doesn't have conversations mm-hmm. the way that Dane does. Yeah. So why aren't the animals more surprised that she can talk to them? <laughs> That's true. Because, like, in, like, Harry Potter, he has parcel tongue, and the snake is like, oh my gosh, like, I've heard about people who can talk to Wait, us. has the snake heard of parcel <laughs> I don't know. No, the snake is surprised, <laughs> is my point. The snake is like, you know, I'm... Uh, Snake is like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. You, this is wild. You're a human um, and you can talk to us. And like, why aren't any animals like, wow, shocking. I think actually there's an interesting answer to this, which is um, the animals magically Mm -hmm. sense her as if she was an animal of their own species. So what we get is not people being surprised that she can talk to them. But um, animals coming up to her and saying, why do you look like a human? This is weird. Oh, okay. That actually makes sense. Okay. I see that. I like that. Um, Well, still, I would expect them to be surprised. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I mean, I think they are a little bit surprised, although they adjust to it pretty fast. But we see it, you know, at least once or twice per book, I think we see an animal say, why do you look like that? And she's like, I was just born this way. And they're like, huh, I don't know. This is weird. (laughs) Um, does anybody else have any more fast bio or should we move on to fast linguistics there was a linguistics thing that I was really excited about that I think Aurora was also probably really excited about Aurora do you want to yeah Yeah, so apparently a sign language exists in Karthak um and it's Mm. because Mm -hmm. this was just one line one small tiny line but apparently um Ozorn's slaves who um don't who can't speak um sign and Numer also no sign because he was chatting with them which is super cool also what does this like is this a sign language that's only used by them is this a sign language that's actually wider but they use also I have a lot of questions about them in general but I guess we can add that to a different section yeah I mean I also have a lot of a lot of questions about them that right I don't know when the right time to talk about them that is but right it, it's really exciting that like <laughs> yeah. the, the most exciting fact <laughs> about Numer for me in this book he was that sign he, he signed he knows that's so cool the sign language. well I mean she called it it was one of those things where she said Numer talked to the slaves in sign language and I'm like I'm like wait a minute in, back yeah up. I'm like let's add an <laughs> article yeah, in there you know I mean Numer's but like in any sign language, right. but still, it was that was a good touch. I'm glad it happened. Right, I'm like so curious about it too. Like, is it an idiolect to this group? Did they like create it over generations of slaves that are again like clearly mm-hmm. we have questions about the group? But like, is it yeah like created over 
time with well, this yeah, group? Well, yeah, they or? also mentioned, you know, um, Dane arranged for all of those slaves to be free, and they mentioned that half of them decided to stay in Carthac and the other half decided to go to Tortal, which made me wonder if there was a larger community of signers in Carthac mm-hmm. that used the same language that mm-hmm. they were, like, connected yeah. to. I hope that's true. Oh, Me too. So, I, yeah, that was, it's good. I'm glad. Good touch. It was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really exciting. Um, I guess there were a couple other interesting linguistic tidbits, like, sprinkled throughout here. I mean, it's kind of like, there are a lot of really interesting background things in general in this book, um, but... Uh, there were some linkbits mm-hmm. in there. Like, oh, for example, Ozorn speaks the, which is, is it the Banjiku or Banjiku language? Um, he just, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, like, oh, they yeah, just, so they know it. Again. And that's cool. <laughs> like, they don't just speak one yeah. language and expect everyone to accommodate to them. Which, like, nice and good. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that that's really interesting, actually, that, mm-hmm. that Ozorn speaks it. I, I think with Numera, just, um... It goes with his sort of general thing of, like, Numer is the best uh, <laughs> mage this. ever, but also he's just, like, the most, yeah. like, he does every academic discipline, so he just knows a lot about animals, every but also language. he knows, like, every language of everyone he's ever talked to. It's like the <laughs> annoying kid in your ling class who's like, yeah, I know Russian, oh, you're looking for someone oh, who yes. knows Chinese, I know Chinese, <laughs> and everything that comes up, they're like, actually, the nominative case in Russian is like this, and you're like, I thought you took Japanese, what are you saying? And they just know everything. Yeah. Aurora, do you remember that kid in our ling class? Oh, yeah, I know exactly <laughs> who you're talking about. And I... I even though I've taken yep. one Ling class, I can relate. <laughs> it's the mm. universal Ling experience. Um. But I do really appreciate that Numer, while learning all these different languages, like he did, he yeah. included sign language. He recognized that a sign language was, was there, yeah. present, and he learned it. Good for him. Yeah, good um. job, Numer. Better than lots of kids in hey. my Ling classes. <laughs> Ling nerd. <laughs> That's a linger. Um, good. Uh, I'm trying to think. Was there one more? Oh, oh. So we were introduced to Old Thok in this book. So that was the first language of oh, the yeah. Empire. Which that in itself mm-hmm. is interesting. That means that if it was the first language of the Empire, presumably it either A, changed, or B, now it just has a different language. But I was mildly annoyed. I guess this is just a trope thing. But it was described so the horse statue man who I'm sure has a name, um, cried out in what was quoted as a uh, strange guttural language. And I read it and I was like, oy vey. Like, Ooh. we've got to be better. Like, that's a very um, European-centric way of describing languages that mm-hmm. aren't European and have sounds that don't mm-hmm. usually pop up in a lot of the European languages. And it's, you know, that's like a very fantasy thing. Like, Klingon was made specifically not to sound like, you know, French, but... Still. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does also raise an interesting question because it's not otherwise discussed, uh, but I guess the the primary language spoken in Karthak is the same as the primary language spoken in Tortal? Yeah. yeah. Or... It's gotta be because it's yeah. never addressed and everyone's just talking to each other, so. Right. I mean, Dane doesn't talk to that many Karthakis, so it's possible that they all just mm-hmm. know her language, but... Right. It, it's it seems more plausible that they just speak the same language, which 
raises its own questions about well, like I where mean, that Jane language comes came from. from Gala, right? And she spoke common there yeah. theoretically also. Is it just called <laughs> common? That's the most boring <laughs> fantasy trope. I don't think it's called anything. I think it just like makes sense to call it common. Sure. Like, if you're I mean, right. It. It, that that's like such a fantasy thing yeah. of like everyone mostly speaks the same language because it's very convenient. Yeah. Very common. No, I kind of think they, they do, do just call yeah. it common though. I don't know. It's not great. Yeah, I think I don't know. I don't remember it. Aurora, I wanted to ask you about that statue. So when this is like not quite <laughs> linguistics, but I promise I'll make it really fast. <laughs> it's just statue talk. Um, when that statue came alive, it was like, I'm going to warn you about your downfall. I was like, what does this remind me of? And I was like, Don Giovanni. Yes. Nice. Hashtag <laughs> throwbacks. Um. <laughs> Hashtag upper throwback. Um, I do um, prefer the idea of, like, everyone speaks a common language, we're not going to talk about it, compared to, like, the, uh, the Pocahontas, the, uh, Pocahontas <laughs> stuff that, um, that Tamara Pierce pulled in Alana, where they're just like, oh, she speaks Bazir, don't worry about it, it happened overnight, it's a very easy language to learn, I assume, um, <laughs> so yeah. I prefer... The idea that there's some sort of shared language over the like yeah, but if you don't like talk about version. where you know languages don't just come from nowhere, and there's <laughs> this is such a fantasy trope that you know oh there's just one language that everyone speaks, and it's not a result of colonialism. <laughs> it's just the language that's everywhere. They just all thought it would be really convenient. There's no <laughs> politics. Yeah, or... they just all decided to do it. The language, yeah, right. The language spring into existence and it does not have any sort of like like fraught history associated with it it's just a convenient (laughs) language that everyone knows right because even if there is a shared language like you know um you know i'm not really a history kid but i believe like it used to be a real thing that like everyone like nobles across europe spoke french right so that's because of certain Mm -hmm. ideas about french right like if there's a shared language it's interesting for us to know what it is Mm -hmm. and why that is it's should it just be like a write-in easy I mean, it, it wouldn't be yeah, hard to definitely. argue that whatever they're speaking at these, like, peace talks or whatever is some sort of, like, lingua franca. And given that Carthac, it has that large university, mm-hmm. you might expect that a university that's... Maybe it's Carthac. Sure, sure. Or, at, you know, at a particular university, usually they'll... So the academics coming from lots of places can converse with one another. They will pick a language that they speak mm-hmm. in you know usually for s- mm-hmm. yeah and we know that there there are a lot of northerners yeah. and the there are of course University. you know sociolinguistic factors and factors of like register and lots of things that kind of feed into why they pick the language that they do that certainly would be really interesting to address but you could argue that you know maybe right. there is a language in Carthage because it wouldn't make sense for them to have old thok and then to have just dropped it um uh yeah. Yeah. And that that's what most people speak, but at these particular talks, they're like, guess we're going to free- speak French now. Or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> the fantasy, fantasy French. Which is something. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but like, right, and I mean, like, to, to do the, your fantasy world building, you don't have to go into, like, the <laughs> whole history of the language. But you could just mention that they're speaking Tortolan because that's what the language sure, the talk, sure, is the talks just assuming. are in. You know, right. like, it would be very yeah, easy that to makes just... a lot of sense. Yeah. Right. And maybe they're speaking Tortalan, like, for the sake of the Tortalan little embassy. Right, sure. But, like, 
Why? Because, like, if Karthak is where the university is, you have to assume that that's sort of, like, the idea of where mm-hmm. education happens is in Karthak. Mm-hmm. So I why mean, wouldn't that be I don't be think the... it's the only university in the world. No, but they talk about how it's much more, uh, like, more education is happening there sure. and more academia is happening there than is happening sure. in Tortal. So why would Tortal be the language right, right. that they were like, oh, we do all of our business in Tortal. Unless Tortal everyone's and... actually speaking a language that came from Karthak. Um... Oh, mm. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, maybe they're, yeah. they're all speaking Thak. Yeah. <laughs> New Thak. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I feel like all the, the point of quick linguistics is just to point out to everyone that we're incapable <laughs> of reading a book and having normal thoughts about it. That's fair. <laughs> oh, wait, I have, one more, I have one more quick linguistics thing, which is super quick, but since I'm always on Animal Name Watch, my favorite quick linguistics was when Zek was like, oh, I have this name, and it's like, click, 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 and she was like, I couldn't pronounce it. And literally every other animal is named, like, Moon yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah, that's true. Normally, right, she just... <laughs> I guess, translates the names from, like, internal animal language to, like, you know, to words that are words in human language, but, right, his name is just a bunch of clicks. That's a great point. I don't know what's up with that. Oh, God, wait, I also have a really important question. Maybe this is sort of bio. Do stormwings have arms, or are they, like, birds with human heads? I kind of think they just have wings. I don't know, but... She describes multiple immortals that are, like, ex-animal with a human head. And I'm, like, horrifying. (laughs) The worst way to create a creature. Like, spider with human head. But it is a very classic, like, mythology move. Because I realized when Mikosh, like, made day in hand... Um, Ozar and his feather. I was like, he doesn't have arms! <laughs> right, and they have, like, braids and stuff in their hair. How do they do that? Like, I guess just ah! with their feet? I don't know! So Maybe they have, like, really okay. dexterous feet. Like, grabby. They have friends who have arms. <laughs> Maybe they're friends with the killer centers or something, and they braid their hair. That would be them. nice. Okay, let's, let's move on to social justice corner. Part one to be continued in the next Bio episode. part two. How do stormlings break their hair? <laughs> <laughs> Let's move from that into feminism. Yeah. Uh. Okay. Okay, here's my feminism point. I was deeply icked by the way that Numera talks to Dane about the way she Same. looks. And that's all oh I say about it. Yes. But ah! I, it just made me like put down my book. And then just walk away from it a little bit. Barf. Also, he talks really weirdly about, like, he, like, he mentions that Alana yeah. isn't beautiful. He's like, Alana, not, oh she's God, literally like, you know, you're smoking, you know? Ugh. Like, everybody, <laughs> you don't recognize it, but you're so beautiful. And I'm just like, yuck, 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 yeah. yuck. And that's my informed commentary. And the way that he feels he has to, like, butt yeah. in when... Kadar was talking to her and he's like, oh, oh no, no, no. My territory. Oh, that you don't, was so like, awful. Dane doesn't get to make her own decisions about what she wants to do. Like, what if Dane liked Kadar? Like, yeah. Yeah, and it's totally, I mean, obviously hypocritical because he walks right back over right after that and goes and sits with Faris, who is obviously, like, uh-huh. having some sort of romantic affair with. Yeah. Or some other type of affair, but he's not willing to allow the same thing from Dane, regardless of whether or not they're in a relationship. Yeah. Yeah, I think we should table some of the stuff for next episode, spoiler section, if we're doing that. 
But I do, I, I do really, really want to talk about, um, Ver- Varys. Kingford? Varys? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I always read it as Varys. how you wish. Varys. Sure. Yeah, me too. Um, I, I thought she was so interesting, actually, because mm-hmm. I, um, you know, I, I vaguely remembered that she was, um someone that, you know, was, like, a, a kind of romantic interest for Numair, mm-hmm. but also kind of, you know, sketchy and related to the Empire, and I really thought that she was going to be a lot more in the vein of all these previous characters that we've seen, mm-hmm. you know, Delia, Josie Ann, uh, Yolaine, mm-hmm. where it's, like, a girl who's pretty and, you know, really obsessed with her looks and kind of seductive, but doesn't have a lot of power beyond the seduction and is sort of villain aligned, but doesn't, isn't really a villain in her own right because she doesn't have power. Cool reoccurring is... <laughs> character type tomorrow right? appears. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's every character we've seen that's interested in, in femininity. I mean, you know, Fayette is really hot <laughs> and feminine, um, and you know, right, beautiful and she knows how to do clothes and stuff, but she also has, like, she fights and does that type of thing, and so every purely feminine character that we've seen has been this archetype. And Varys, uh, sort of seemed at the beginning like she was going to be that, but then we, I feel like this book is a real turning point because, you know, we had Dane being sort of jealous of her, but then we had Dane sort of sticking Mm -hmm. up for her also, Mm -hmm. you know, that, um, you know, Dane saw that she worked really hard on this a very fancy cake and then the cake got ruined and Dane was really upset about that because she knew that Varice had worked really hard on the cake. And then like toward you know, at the end when Dane's like destroying the whole palace, um, she's initially mad because she thinks that uh Varice might have sold Numer out. But then um you know, I guess she sees that that uh like she's legitimately upset about it and also they have this whole sort of interaction where, um, you know, Varese says, like, you know, everyone was always saying that I should use my magic to do bigger things and, and, uh, you know, be more famous and do more practical things, and I bet you think that, but I just like making, you know, beautiful things, and I like making people happy. And then, um, Dane thinks, like, oh, that that's kind of like my mom, you know, who I love, and... And then Dane says, uh, you don't have to explain yourself to me. Mm-hmm. And that was just such I a mean, good moment. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it's that was so a nice cool. intro. It's, we're continually, or finally, getting introduced to, like, the many different ways that one can occupy, like, a feminine, mm-hmm. like, space or person yeah. or whatever. Um, and that's really cool. And that there's usefulness in all of these. That, like, you know, what Varys does is super right. impressive. I am sure that cake was super bomb. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. And I love the idea that this is broadly a pivot in the way that we interact with femininity as readers of Tamara Pierce's work. That we're going from yeah. not being able to see that to, like, okay, slowly we're turning around and then this is a real turning point where uh, we get to interact with femininity in this much richer way. Yeah, I mean, definitely a, a, a broad theme that we've seen, you know, starting with the Alana books and moving forward is gradually opening up the definition of good femininity as we mm-hmm. add more female characters. Right. Um, but right, in the past, it's always been, you know, you can be feminine as long as you're also 
fighty. You know, willing to get your hands mm-hmm. dirty and fight with a sword, right? Um, but now this is this um, Varius really reads as a, I think, a deconstruction of these previous female characters, where like, actually, you can just be feminine, and that's also okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and she's yeah. it's not um, she's not like a full like she's not a fully heroic character. She's kind of in the middle, but you know. She's not she's not a bad person and she's not a villain and the fact that Dane explicitly acknowledges that it's okay to just use your magic to you know plan ballrooms and bake cakes you know I think that's just a huge step forward definitely I also thought it was really cool how like Brittany specifically said like people always told me to use my power for more but when I saw people use their power to like work towards traditional success that didn't make them happy and I felt like yeah, she says that generally, and she also specifically says, Numer told me I should use my power to do bigger, fancier things. Um, yeah. And I rejected that, and I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was sort of, like, pushing back against maybe, like, a tradi- what a traditional, like, success narrative looks like, even. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was super cool and not something that I expected to see in a book written. When this right, night. yeah, I mean, she, she has magical power that she could have used to learn to, you know, fight battles or whatever, and she chose to do this, and she has mostly seemed very successful and happy at that and that's awesome definitely and then the idea too that like a like sort of exclusive virtue of traditional femininity femininity in comparison to traditional masculinity is that it can be very uh like pro-social and relationship building and you can really Mm -hmm. focus on uh building people up and that's very much what she expresses is that she wants to make other people happy and have this like joyful relationship with the people around her and her community and I think that that's like really beyond being like femininity it's not all bad it's like femininity has yeah. unique strengths huh. yeah no it's, it's really yeah. good I like and it thanks, a lot Dane. Yeah. thanks Dane for liking Grace at the end um, should we talk oh. about how oh, go ahead, Kadar can really be a turd a lot also his friends are terrible <laughs> yeah. turds uh, yes. Full of sexism. Oh man, yeah. that scene where she just beats everyone at archery. <laughs> oh, it's is so, so satisfying cliche, though. But so excellent. I was laughing yeah. it up again this time. It was so good yeah. again every yeah. time. Yeah. Right, it's literally exactly the scene where Alana <laughs> yeah. duels a bunch of foreigners and beats them. But but man, don't you want I, that? I, scene. I will read it over and over again. Exactly. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, Kadar is a really interesting character who I guess we'll probably also talk about in future sections, but mm-hmm. right, a, a lot of the time he's very, like, you know, endearing and nice and clearly a good guy in the quote-unquote good guy, um, but right, he's really kind of mean to her and he says that she he hopes yeah. that she loses at archery because yeah. women aren't good at archery. Uh, and at one point he <laughs> says, rude. like all females, you're sentimental about animals. And I'm like, shove it, yeah. my friend. Uh, oh, yeah, I worst. hated that. <laughs> like, she's literally one of the most powerful people you'll ever meet because of her relationship <laughs> yeah. with animals. And you're going to be like, oh, like all women, you're just so soft when Ugh. it comes to animals. Like... What really bothered me especially about that, I feel like, is I felt like they were trying to make sort of Kadar's opinions about Dane indicative yeah. about, like, Karthak's opinions mm-hmm. about women in general. And then they threw in, Tamora Pierce, not they, Tamora Pierce <laughs> threw in a couple of references to, like, in Karthak, you can't go somewhere without a chaperone, you're a woman. Also, in Karthak, 
all women are veiled. And I feel like she was doing a little bit of that, like, this is a non-European and therefore, like, not as gender progressive society. Yeah. Right, which she she also did with the Bajir. But you know what we had with the Bajir? Several female Bajir characters, and we did not meet a single Karthaki woman. Right. And just like we pointed out when we talked about the Bajir, like, Tortal, you're not doing great. Like, (laughs) right. But it's so much easier to say, like, oh, here are the problems elsewhere in a society that our heroes are not a part of. Mainly veils. You know what's horrible? Letting women (laughs) make their own choices about the way they want to interact with the world. Right, because apparently you don't. There's no, like, legal requirement in Karthak that women wear veils, which we Mm -hmm. know, because Varese doesn't. So, like, mm-hmm. you don't have to wear veils. Some women are choosing to wear veils, and that's the worst thing ever. It's obviously indicative about how there are worlds behind Tortal, where women are also very looked oh, yeah, down yeah, upon. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't want to excuse, excuse Karthak because they do, like, they do bad things and stuff. But, yeah, <laughs> I, I think that, right, this specific treatment of gender as, oh, it's so problematic in the non-fantasy European countries... <laughs> Yeah, it's not the best. Right. Yeah. And yeah, definitely did bother me. I felt like in the other characters who've had like a healthy dosage of female characters, I felt like this book was a little bit more aggressive in that way. Like it was Dane, it was Alana, who she didn't really interact that yeah. much with. She had some cute book. moments with Alana, but yeah, Alana wasn't a big part of the plot. And then there was Faris, which again, basically looked on from afar and mostly was jealous of, didn't really have conversations mm-hmm. with. And I mean, but that goddess though. Yeah. Which, I mean, yeah. the graveyard hag is great. <laughs> She I mean, she's great. Wonderful. <laughs> it would be nice to have. It would be nice. I mean, I always enjoy like more like interactions where people actually influence each other more. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. She seems like less like a character to me than. Yeah. Um, I mean, she, she did have some fun interactions. And I do like that they specifically pointed out that, um, you know, a lot of imagery of goddesses is very like, oh, they're so you know, inhumanly beautiful and powerful and, like, youthful. And then the graveyard mm-hmm. hag is just this, yeah. like, very old woman. <laughs> who, like, the word hag is in her name. But she, yeah, she's still very powerful and just has a lot of fun. Um, any more founders of stuff? Any queer stuff? These books need to no. be gay Not a lot of queer stuff. Like... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there was a lack of gay. I there mean, there was a lot of, lack. like, sort of vague references to the very close relationship that um, Numera That's and Ozorn true. had as, like, I mean, youths. last book, oh, I forgot to bring this up. Last <laughs> book, I kind of thought that Numera and Tristan had a thing, but... I mean, there there are just a lot of, like, significant men from Numera's past that we come in contact with that he has, like, clearly strong emotions about, but, you know. I don't know. I mean, we also get in this book explicitly, here's his female former lover. (laughs) But people can, you know, Abby, I have something to break to you. People can be bi. (laughs) You're not about biracial on this podcast. Wow, I never knew. (laughs) No, yeah, I I would very much like to read Numera's bi. I think that that you can do that. I don't think that um, the author would necessarily oh, support that reading but do we care no Listen. we're trying to <laughs> she make no saying this we are trying so hard to keep most of this podcast yeah. in death of the author zone so yeah this is, this is bi. canon so yeah. 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 canon. Bi boy, no one can change <laughs> canon. my mind 
Oh, I love him. (laughs) (laughs) I like that sometimes he really cares about his appearance, and then other times he just wears the, like, plain black academic robe, and, (laughs) like, he's just such a, like, absent-minded academic. It's great. I know, this was, that was the one disappointing part about Tamar Pierce's, like, close description. She would go up for everybody and she'd be like, anybody was wearing a black robe. Yeah. <laughs> Which, right, I mean, we know that if you want to, you can wear your mage robe open and wear, like, fancy clothes underneath it, and Numeria just could not be bothered. At least it was described as billowy, so at least he was being dramatic. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's always yeah. being dramatic. <laughs> he drama on. <laughs> Um, I think um, we're done with with feminism, though, so... I think we are. Okay, well, then let's wrap up for today. We're moving on to palace gossip, which is listener mail. We are going to try to get better at responding to people on social media and email. So <laughs> if you've emailed or social mediaed us and we haven't replied, um, we hopefully will soon. Thank you so much. We love hearing from you. We're going to reply. Probably soon. Yeah. Probably. We do. We yeah, really, really much. like to get your messages. Once I learn how to um, use Tumblr, I will totally interact with you Tumblr peeps. But right now, it just scares me a lot. <laughs> yeah, the problem is that like four out of seven members of this podcast <laughs> are allergic to social media. Wait, guys, I have, I have breaking breaking news. It's it's fine knowledge. Fine knowledge. <laughs> More chicken than a hat. Fine knowledge. Okay. Um, that was definitely not a ripoff from another podcast that Amy told me to do. Um, Our podcast yeah. is like 80% ripoffs of other podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> we have some barn knowledge. <laughs> barn knowledge from, um, oh God, Yehan, the poet. I'm just going to agree to mispronounce it that way today. Okay. Um, it's probably not. It's fine. It's a, it's a name from Les Mis, you guys. Well, I know. I know. You told me last time, but I forgot again. Can you say it for me? Okay. I can't because I don't have a good French accent and it's hard, but something like Jeon. Okay, I'm going to Jeon, the right. poet, not Yehan, um, said, told us via Tumblr, um, I just listened to Wolf Speaker Part 1, and I just wanted to say that Tamora Pierce has said Dane's bias against chickens is apparently Tamora's own bias, and since writing the Immortals books, Tamora has changed her mind about chickens. On a slightly separate note, a group of chickens can and will eat every part of a mouse but the bones in seconds, and will even eat themselves if they get an open wound. So Horrifying! That's really terrifying bar knowledge. (laughs) Thank you so much. Jehan, we loved this bar knowledge. It was amazing. <laughs> the, I mean, the, the knowledge from Tamara Pierce is, like, really good that she just yeah. inserted her hatred of chickens into the books, <laughs> and then she later, like, what was the inciting incident where she changed her mind about chickens? I can see chickens right now out my window. Fun fact. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, it's exciting. Uh, which might mislead people into thinking that I live in some sort of a country. I don't. I, <laughs> I mean, I live in a country, but I live in the city. <laughs> Um, yeah, Minneapolis is the kind of urban area where you can have chickens in your backyard. Yeah, I can see two chickens and a duck. Ooh. Nice. I I, I aspire to own some backyard chickens, Same. I think. It doesn't every that would be awesome. doesn't every good South Minneapolis kid isn't that the dream? <laughs> yes, <for us> absolutely. <laughs> um and that's that's the end of our listener mail for this week. Um so Well, okay, I mean I do want to oh, extrapolate on this knowledge a little bit and I mean a lot of people hate rats, so I wouldn't be surprised if Tamara Pierce hated rats, but Does like she hate whales. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay, 
Okay, I feel like the whales, we keep acting like the whales were super horrible. The whales just had their own pacifist <laughs> beliefs. That's fine. <laughs> I can respect but that. But the rats were, I mean, she she regularly, Dane, who likes all animals except for chickens, <laughs> like regularly <laughs> described a bunch of rats. I don't, I don't know if she said it was gross, but it definitely like the imagery came off as very gross yeah. to me. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think Tamara Pierce might be inserting her own biases more than she. If realizes. anybody knows whether or not Tamara Pierce hates rats, whether she's issued a public statement on that, that is one true Tamara Pierce fact that we will take. <laughs> yeah. So please send it in. Also, if you know why yeah. she stopped hating chickens, I would be very curious to know about that too. <laughs> I, know. I would like to know this as well. <laughs> okay. Um, with that, let's do some wrap up and housekeeping. Um, you can follow us follow us on social media or talk to us on social media. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Turtle Recall. Yep, is our Twitter name. Tumblr, our Tumblr name is also Turtle Recall. Um, our website is turtlerecall.com. <laughs> <laughs> or you can email us um, if you have questions at turtlerecall at gmail.com. Um, if you would like, we would love it if you would rate and review us on iTunes. And fun news, we have a Patreon now. Abby, would yeah. you like to talk more about that? Yes. So the Patreon is uh, patreon.com slash Recall. We're very <laughs> consistent with our branding on this podcast, <laughs> which is great. Um, yeah, and uh, it's really exciting. Uh, you guys have already gotten us past our first goal, which is... Um, to not be losing money on this podcast so that's really really exciting mm-hmm. thank um you. thank you so much this is yeah it's awesome that you guys Amazing. have been so helpful um so because we've we've reached that first goal um we will be doing an additional bonus episode about some other book that um patrons will choose that may have already happened by the time this episode goes out but uh just know that a benefit of be- becoming a patron is that you get to choose what we do for our bonus episodes or at least some of them. And there's already um, a bonus and, episode up there, if you... Yeah, yeah. So, so every month, in addition to the bonus episodes that we re- release for reaching our goals, um, we have uh, patron-exclusive bonus episodes, one per month, where the people who are not um, on the episode talking about a book do just, like, a little discussion where you get to hear their reactions to the book, which I think is really exciting for um, Wolf Speaker and Emperor Mage, because Amy has not been on either of these episodes, <laughs> and I know that I really want to hear Amy's reaction to reading these books for the first time, so Definitely. you can hear those things if you become a patron. Uh, yeah, but but thank you so much. Um, I know that not everyone has the money to donate, but um, we love you regardless of whether you've donated or not. Um, thank you to our listeners and our patrons and everyone. Yeah, amazing. Thank you for your support. Right. In the future, we... Um, we might thank some of our patrons on the air, but we don't want to do that mm-hmm. without checking with you first to see if you want your name on the air. So, um, yeah, look out for that in the future. And if you donate, uh, we might also thank you on the air if you want us to. Great. Um, we have a few more thank yous to thank. We'd like to thank our music, which is Greensleeves by Seta. Um, and we'd like to thank the people who talk with us on Tumblr. Um, and those folks are... Ranger Danger. Yeah, I tried to do the X again. Um, the the night to say book. Uh, sitting, sipping tea. Forest of stories. Bisexual werewolves. Jahan, the poet. The Zohar and 
a part of how life goes. That's like um, a really good collection of URLs. Yeah, good job, guys. <laughs> so thank you. Thanks for having awesome URLs. Thanks for chatting with us on the interwebs. Um, we love you all. Yeah. Those were from um, April 26th through May 15th. On Tumblr. On Tumblr. Nice. An enigma. <laughs> Tumblr. <laughs> yes, a mystery. <laughs> a black box. Um... <laughs> Does anybody, has anybody not done the sign-off? Everybody's done it. Grace, have you done the sign-off? Um, I don't, yeah, I think I have. Oh, okay. Do you want me to? Do it. Do it. Yeah, go for it. See you later, (laughs) Tortellini. There you go. Nice. Um, yay, we did it.